Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to episode 90. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. Happy Snowpocalypse. And happy Festivus. More on that coming up with the king of Festivus himself, Jason Alexander. But first, even this holiday season, because it is 2020, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. We are the gold standard. You're back here in Hollywood making movies right now because of us. Because they believe in us and what we're doing. I'm on the phone with every studio at night. Insurance companies. Producers. And they're looking at us and using us to make their movies. We are creating thousands of jobs, you I don't ever want to see it again. Ever. And if you don't do it, you're fired. And I see you do it again, you're gone. And anyone on this crew does it. That's it. And you too. And you too. And you. Don't you ever do it again. That's it. No apologies. You can tell it to the people that are losing their homes because our industry is shut down. It's not going to put food on their table or pay for their college education. That's what I sleep with every night. That's not Santa yelling at his elves. That's movie star Tom Cruise laying into members of his crew on the set of Mission Impossible 7 outside of London, England. He was tearing into them because he spotted members of the crew violating social distancing guidelines. They were crowded around a computer. It's a $200 million film that's already been delayed a number of times due to COVID. The production cost is reportedly about $590,000 per month. Tom Cruise stars in the film. He's a producer. And he even went so far as to rent out an entire cruise ship for the cast and crew to isolate on, personally paying over half a million dollars. But Tom Cruise is angry. Understandably. He's a leader who understands the stakes for himself and for his crew and for everyone this holiday season. He understands that his crew is all in this together. And so is his industry. And so is our country. Stakes is high this holiday season. On the set of Mission Impossible and all across America this holiday season. And all Tom Cruise wants for Christmas is to finish his film. So despite that rant, and because of why he did it, he may still be on Santa's good list. Maybe if Donald Trump had reacted that way earlier this year, we'd all be having a much happier holiday right now. Maybe our kids would still be in school. Maybe our restaurants would still be open. Maybe our economy wouldn't be in free fall. Maybe hundreds of thousands wouldn't be dead. But despite all that, and despite a year of President Mayhem doing everything possible to end up on the naughty list, there's reason to be happy this holiday season. There is reason to be hopeful. Reason to be festive. Hanukkah is here. Christmas is coming. I haven't forgotten to move my kid's elf on a shelf any night yet. And of course, 
Festivus is here. Yes, Festivus. Many Christmases ago, I went to buy a doll for my son. I reached for the last one they had, but so did another man. As I rained blows upon him, I realized there had to be another way. What happened to the doll? It was destroyed. But out of that, a new holiday was born. A Festivus for the rest of us. Festivus is here again. And so, for the second year in a row on Angry Americans, so is the great Jason Alexander. Star of stage and screen, most famous, of course, is George Costanza on Seinfeld, where Festivus began and will live on forever. As we discussed last year, like this show and like America, Festivus was born out of anger. Righteous anger. Frank Costanza, righteous anger. Tom Cruise, righteous anger. George Washington, righteous anger. John Lewis, righteous anger. But like this show and like America, Festivus has channeled that anger into positive impact, into change and into happiness. And for the second holiday season in a row, I have a very special Festivus gift for all you good little boys and girls. After a massive year of serious conversations with admirals, political leaders, artists, and after a year of pain, chaos, and mayhem, the man himself returns. The legend, the iconic actor who played George Costanza on Seinfeld, Jason Alexander, is back for Festivus. And to end our 2020 with some wisdom, some laughs, and some perspective. So welcome to the second annual Angry Americans Holiday Festivus Special with the great Jason Alexander. I don't believe that 74 million people are hateful to me. I just can't believe it. Oh, and that I'm hateful to them. I think if, if we could just sit down and hear each other and talk to each other without yelling, even though they may believe some conspiracy theory I think is total bunk, we can find the common ground. We can find the places where we care about the same things. We care about our kids. We care about the world surviving. We care about waking up every day thinking this could be a better day than yesterday. It's that simple little stuff. We care that we have enough food for each other. We care that there's a place to go to school and just learn. For me, it, it's about empathy. It's about just, um, and I guess that goes hand in hand with some humility. I'm going, I don't know everything. I'm not always right. And no matter how much I think about myself, that person over there has every right to be full of pride and full of hope and full of the wisdom that they've garnered over their lifetime. And if I can't learn something from them, there's something wrong with me. So welcome to the second annual holiday episode where I share my list of presents that I want from Santa. Not for myself, although I would really love a PS7 uh, a trip to Jamaica, the Giants to be in the playoffs, one of those Lexus SUVs with a giant red bow on it, and Bill de Blasio and Rand Paul to be impeached. Yeah, I've got a long wish list of my own. But this show and this season is not about me. It's about America. And this holiday, America very badly needs a few things in our stockings and under our tree ASAP. And yes, after this brutal 2020, 
as is consistent with the tradition that is Festivus. There is a need to get a few things off our chest. Welcome, newcomers. <laughs> the tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're going to hear about it. Yes, we have lots to be angry about this holiday, but this show is not about that. This show is about the hope. And while there has been plenty to be angry about all year, and even now, this holiday season, this difficult, brutal, cold, deadly holiday season, there is finally real reason for hope. Because Santa has already delivered the number one most requested gift at the top of everyone's shopping list. No, it's not a Barbie dream house. It's not your own baby Yoda. It's something much bigger. And it's the biggest reason for hope this holiday season. It was the number one thing on the Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Festivus wish list for hundreds of millions of Americans nationwide. The vaccine. The COVID vaccine is coming. It's finally here and it's coming just in time for the holidays. That's the sound of cheers from workers as the first Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine shipments left Michigan this week. And it's coming just when we need it the most. The U.S. recorded one COVID death every 30 seconds over the last 24 hours. So we need it bad. So check that off your list. We're getting the vaccine, all of us, sooner or later, unless you don't want it. And in that case, I recommend you move to the South Pole, not the North Pole where you can infect Santa and the elves with COVID and the stupid, but move to the South Pole or Mar-a-Lago. Just stay the hell away from the rest of us. Because if you don't take the vaccine, you're perfect to hang out with President Mayhem in Mar-a-Lago next year, or maybe in another place like Riverbottom. Yeah, Riverbottom. If you were with us this time last year, you learned that my favorite holiday movie of all time is Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. The 1977 Jim Henson classic with Kermit the Frog doing the intro and Paul Williams doing the music. It's a heartwarming holiday classic. And in the movie, there are bad guys. Really bad guys. Bad guys like Trump and his closest allies. They're not from Queens or from Mar-a-Lago but a mysteriously ominous place called Riverbottom. And they're represented by the Riverbottom Nightmare Band. They're the meanest band in the film, and maybe the meanest band in any holiday film ever. We take what we want. We do anything that we wish. They're a bad crew. We're not performing on stage. The band members enjoy breaking traffic laws, riding their snowmobiles, and destroying merchandise. They're kind of like the Trump White House. There's Chuck on keyboards, a giant, mean grizzly bear, Stanley the Weasel on guitar, Frank Lizard on drums, 
Howard Snake on bass, and Catfish, a background dancer, hype man kind of person. There's a line from their song. We don't wish to learn, but we hate what we don't understand. That's a line from their song. But it's kind of like the Trump anthem for 2020. Anyway, another thing on my Christmas wish list is for everyone to see that film and maybe for someone to do a remake. Maybe Tom Cruise. Maybe our friend Ron Perlman. Maybe Jason Alexander. Anyway, continuing down my holiday wish list. We did get snow. We wanted a white Christmas here on the East Coast, and boy, did we get it. I went outside last night, and I felt like I was in a snow globe. It was a storm, and I was riding it. Riders on the storm. Riders on the storm. So the storms continue to hit the U.S., and the snow is piling up in many parts of it. But so are the COVID sick and dying. So my next wish list item is a COVID relief package with stimulus checks for all Americans. We need a COVID relief package from Congress now, and we need money in our pockets or our digital wallets. That means you, me, all Americans. Lots of industries need bailouts and relief, but so do we. And I can't think of a better way to lift the spirits of all Americans this holiday season outside of maybe mandatory medical marijuana candy canes, Congress needs to pass it before they leave for the holiday or resign en masse and forever be designated as members of the permanent lifetime naughty list where assholes like Rand Paul and South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem and so many others are already destined. But let's continue down my wish list slash festivist airing of grievances. We should abolish the electoral college Finally, once and for all, now that Joe Biden was officially elected president by the Electoral College, let's get rid of that nonsense and recognize the value of the vote of every good little boy and girl and stop screwing around with this system and get with the times. Biden won by 7 million votes. It wasn't even close, but it is final. And Biden himself recognized it in a recent tweet, writing, In this battle for the soul of America, democracy prevailed. Yeah, he's right, this time. But if we don't change it, it might not next time. Santa, make a note, please. Scrap the Electoral College. Continuing down my list, this one's not for myself, of course, but for the good of all the little boys and girls who served in uniform, the over 19 million vets, and everyone who loves them and cares about them. I have a wish or two for the VA. First off, VA Secretary Robert Wilkie should be fired or resign. I've been saying it for months, but now others are echoing that call. It's still one of the most underreported stories in America. And this week, every leading veterans group in America and a growing number of members of Congress have finally called on VA Secretary Wilkie to resign. After the bombshell Inspector General report hit, clearly laying out how Secretary Wilkie created a climate of intimidation and led a campaign to smear a brave and courageous sexual assault survivor. It's right there in black and white in the IG report, and it's damning. And that's why every leading veterans group in the country has called for him to resign. In normal, non-Trump times, no VA secretary could survive this. 
but these are not normal times. And 23 lawmakers have so far called for Secretary Wilkie's resignation in the last week. But every leader should be calling for the same. Led by names like Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Chairman of the House Veterans Affairs Committee, Mark Ticano, and bolstered by leaders like Seth Moulton, a post-9-11 veteran himself, and Mikey Sherrill, a former Navy pilot from New Jersey. 23 and counting. But all Democrats. No Republicans. None. That needs to change. So Trump fired Esper, and now he drove out Attorney General Bill Barr, which now clears the path for him to do some major damage to and with the Justice Department in his final few weeks, just like he's been doing at the Pentagon. But Esper is out, Barr is out, but he's keeping Secretary Wilkie, who spearheaded a campaign to smear a sexual assault survivor. He defended the display of Nazi swastikas and tested hydroxychloroquine on vets dying from COVID, and despite calls from every leading veterans group in America. And at least two Democratic lawmakers are now calling for a congressional ethics probe into Texas Republican Representative Dan Crenshaw and his alleged role in this campaign to smear the sexual assault survivor. The same report that slammed Wilkie said that Crenshaw also participated in the effort to disparage the reputation and credibility of a woman who said she was sexually assaulted last year at a VA facility. So if that all wasn't bad enough at the VA, now they're failing to release data about COVID. A public reporting tool from the VA has been down for almost a week due to, quote, technical issues, and they're not expected to restart until next week. That means they're not publishing active COVID cases or deaths at all. So we have no idea how many veterans are getting sick or dying at the VA. It's just another reason. One thing I want for Christmas at the VA is Wilkie gone. I also wanted Biden to pick a vet to lead the agency, but as we covered at length in last episode, he didn't. Biden shockingly, disappointingly, chose a Washington insider named Dennis McDonough instead of one of the 19 million vets served by the only agency in the federal government that serves a distinct group of people. So no vet leading the Department of Veterans Affairs. This is only the second time this has ever happened. The first was when Trump nominated David Shulkin to be VA secretary. Shulkin was the wrong choice then, and the same is true for McDonough now. But this is another unprecedented busting of norms by Trump that should not be continued by Joe Biden. So, no vet at VA secretary. I didn't get that Christmas wish. But I did get another one. Washington is a place of dysfunction, anger, and fighting. So much fighting. And all of 2020 has been like watching a giant political snowball fight every single day. The snowballs are flying daily in Washington, more than in my neighborhood after the 18 inches of snow we got last night. But there is some rare good news. For one day, the guns have quieted, and we got a bit of a Christmas miracle. Congress has passed a sweeping end-of-the-year bill impacting every corner of the veterans' community. It's a massive veterans' omnibus bill 
that increases resources for homeless veterans, creates a Department of Veterans Advisory Committee for Native American veterans, and mandates that every VA hospital hire a dedicated women's health provider, among dozens of other measures. The House also passed the Deborah Sampson Act, a cornerstone of the She Who Born the Battle campaign that I kicked off with the IAVA team years ago. The groundbreaking legislation closes gaps in health care for women vets and is now headed to Trump's desk for a signature. The namesake of the bill, Deborah Sampson, fought for our independence in the Revolutionary War, then spent half her life fighting to be recognized by our country for it. And this week was also her birthday. The Deborah Sampson Act was a highly coordinated team effort led by truly courageous leaders from all backgrounds. And it's a historic, important, early Christmas present for everybody, hard-earned by activists nationwide. It will forever be the brainchild of the intrepid Allison Jaslow, our former executive director, and the hard work of so many people from so many places. But it's not enough, especially now. The VA motto must change. The sexist, backward, antiquated motto that does not include women must change. So we must change the motto. Santa, you listening? Santa Biden, you listening? Maybe he can give us that holiday surprise because Santa Biden's getting pretty good at it. This week, he surprised us by letting us know that Pete Buttigieg will not be leading the VA. Nope, he's going to be leading a very different part of the federal government. During holiday travel, some people get delirious. Some get delayed. And some get Del Griffin. American Light and Fixture, Director of Sales, Shower Curtain Ring Division. Neil Page got all three. I was on my way home to spend a nice holiday with my family. Instead, I'm in a motel bed with a stranger. So instead of Thanksgiving with his family, he's spending three days with the turkey. Two happy clams just whistling down the road. Flintstones, meet the Flintstones, and the Martoni family. Yes, Mayor Pete will be focused on planes, trains, and automobiles, like John Candy and Steve Martin in that holiday classic. He'll be doing that as our Secretary of Transportation. Now, I would have liked to have seen Buttigieg representing us on the international stage at the UN or as Secretary of State, but I'm confident he'll do an excellent job anywhere he goes. Now, as Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg could be the one to help Joe Biden sell Congress and the country on a massive job-creating investment in infrastructure, one that also hits on climate change. So maybe, in typical Pete Buttigieg fashion, this is a smart move. If Buttigieg is seen as the guy giving out millions of jobs and building tons of stuff nationwide, it makes this a very good move for his political future, and hopefully for America. Now, Buttigieg is only the third post-9-11 veteran in history to serve in a presidential cabinet. Ryan Zinke was Trump's Secretary of Interior and a Navy SEAL and a terrible leader, and General Mattis was also a post-9-11 vet. But Buttigieg will be number three, and he will be the first LGBTQ nominee in history. It was this time last year that I talked to Mayor Pete Buttigieg about what he'd do if he lost his run for president. We also talked about Army-Navy and his dog eating chocolate. If you haven't already, go back and listen to that in episode 37, and we replayed it in episode 73. If you need a holiday treat of content in the next few weeks, go back and listen or watch that episode. Hearing Mayor Pete will be a nice break from listening to President Mayhem or 
as my son calls him, the Grinch, or the liar-in-chief. Because Trump is a liar. He says he's not, but we all know the truth. You're a big boy. What's your name? Paul. And uh, what can I Paul, get you for Christmas? Don't tell him what you want. He's a liar. Let the kid talk. You disgust me. How can you live with yourself? Just cool it, Zippy. You sit on a throne of lies. Look, I'm not kidding. You're a fake. I'm a fake? Yes. How'd you like to be dead? Huh? No, he's kidding. You stink. I think you're gonna have a good Christmas, all right? You smell like beef and cheese. You don't smell like Santa. Okay. <gasps> <gasps> he's an imposter! He's a fake! 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 He's and get our official Red Rider carbine action 200-shot range model air rifle, just like Ralphie. That's what we all want. And many of us wanted the liar to be finally revealed and finally beaten. And he was. Because, unlike Santa, he didn't deliver for the last three Christmases on all that he promised. No wall, no end to our wars overseas, no infrastructure, no booming economy, no safer America. Fake Santa, in this case Trump, has finally been revealed. The beard was snatched off. And he ain't happy about it. So just like last year when impeachment hit him, right before Christmas, he's angry again. He's the worst kind of angry American. So again, this holiday, instead of destroying Gimbel's department store, Trump and his crew are destroying the Constitution, our election, our Pentagon, our Justice Department, our body politic, any semblance of civility. Yeah. That's holiday time 2020 with our president, people. Ho, ho, ho. But I did get a wish on my Christmas list. He lost. Now, I just wish he'd leave peacefully. That would be a very nice gift for all of us, for Hanukkah, for Christmas, for Festivus. As we all gather around the Festivus poll, Santa Rykoff has a gift for all you good little angry Americans. I know it's been a hard year. It's not a Barbie dream house, and it's not a gas patio heater. Amazon's all out of them, I checked. It's not a Peloton. It's not a mirror or an Oculus. It's definitely not an electric scooter. Nope, it's none of those things. But it's just for you. So go ahead and open it. Wow, a A can of Simon eyes. Ralphie, what did that Clary give you show everybody? I don't want to. Ralphie, show everybody what Aunt Clara gave you. <sighs> Aunt Clara had for years labored under the delusion that I was not only perpetually four years old, but also a girl. She just always gives you the nicest things, Ralphie. Oh, my. Oh, isn't that sweet? Yes, it's so sweet. Aunt Clara got you something very special again this year. It's Jason Alexander. Yes, Jason Alexander, the important, inspiring, iconic Jason Alexander. 
just for you. Hey, jingity jing, it's Dominic the donkey. Jingity jing, the Italian Christmas donkey. And this holiday, just like every holiday, my favorite movie is always Emmett Otter's Jugman Christmas. And my favorite song is Dominic the Donkey. This song. Bells around the street and presents on the sled. Hey, look at the maze derby on top of My grandmother was Italian, and she played it every year. It made her happy, and it made me happy. And that's what this season is really all about. Whether you're Christian, Jewish, Muslim, atheist, something else, or nothing else, it's all about family. And it's about the recognition of what we do have and how we want things to be better. It's about reflection. It's about warmth. It's about kindness. That's what the holidays are supposed to be about, even when they're tough. And that's what America's supposed to be about, even when times are tough. And that's what Jason Alexander's all about. That's why he's been a gift to America for decades. And it's why having him on this pod again is a gift to us now. Every guest on this show all year long has been a gift, but he is especially. He's a gift from America's past, a gift to America's present, and a gift for America's future. For almost an entire generation, Jason Alexander has been a part of our lives, and he's been bringing talent, love, and positivity for decades, and for the second year in a row on this show for the holidays. He's a master of all entertainment, stage, screen, TV, and beyond. From Seinfeld to seven Primetime Emmy Awards to Golden Globes to Tony Awards to winning the Celebrity Poker Showdown, you can see him almost every night in America on someone's screen as Seinfeld reruns will show forever. Jason's defined American culture and entertainment for decades. And all the while, he's been deeply committed to his craft, to his community, to his family, and to his country. He's raised money for charities. Earlier this year, he celebrated Passover virtually with a storytelling and music and comedy special called Saturday Night Seder, and he raised $2 million for the CDC Foundation's Coronavirus Emergency Response Fund. He's fought for causes and candidates, and when his sister was struck with a devastating disease, he fought for her and for others who were facing the same terrible disease. There are few people that you'll ever meet that have had a more interesting life and few that are more humble, more generous, and more insightful. Jason represents the best of what a truly great American artist can be. And now he's an ambassador for America to the world at a time when we badly need more like him. He's also a lesson in how to work hard and make it in America, but also how to treat your work, your country, and other people. It's the perfect holiday conversation. And it's just for you. In the spirit of Festivus, again this year, this episode is breaking the rules of the holidays, fighting the commercialism of it all, and bringing it back to the basics. It's a fireside chat with one of the true icons of American culture. As we noted last year, Festivus has four main components, and coincidentally, so does this show. And this episode, again, is a Festivus poll of integrity. It's an airing of grievances, of information. It's a Festivus dinner of impact, and it's a feat of strength of inspiration. It's Festivus again, people. Festivus is for the rest of us. 
And this is a Festivus miracle of good content. We've all had a hard year, an epically hard year. But despite the challenges, we've been good little boys and girls, and we've landed on the nice list. And Santa, and Frank Costanza, and the elf on a shelf, and the mensch on a bench, they've all been watching. And they're here to reward you again with a -a one-of-a-kind conversation with a very important, truly iconic, and exceptionally inspiring American. Santa brings gifts, but so does Dominic the donkey, and so do I. Welcome to a conversation about the all of it. Welcome, finally, to the end of 2020. Welcome to the holidays. Welcome to Angry Americans, episode 90. Ladies and gentlemen, angry Americans around the country and around the globe, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, happy Festivus. I have a returning champion rejoining us for, I think, the perfect conversation at this holiday time. We had him at this time last year. He has been gracious and generous enough to join us again, this time virtually. The great and powerful Jason Alexander returns to Angry Americans. How are you, my friend? I, you know, I always get nervous when I'm introduced like Oz because, you know, he was a sham. <laughs> I know. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm, I'm happy to be back with you with your holiday lights and your hideous sweater. It is just <laughs> fantastic, Paul. <laughs> but, yeah, for the people who can't see it, I have some really crappy lights behind me. And, uh, you know, my wife said it wouldn't be too bad. I wore my, my holiday sweater. Yeah. And it it's says... Fantastic. Hanging with my nomies. Hanging with the nomies. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I feel like, you know, all bets are off after this year. I got to do what I can. You know, we're all just pushing through the finish line here. Dude, right? <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I can you hate numbers? I, I now officially hate twos and zeros. I just hate them. Wherever I, I see them, I just, it, it's what a, what a unbelievable journey this year has been. So, I want to get into all of that. I want to talk about your reactions to the election. I want to talk about Georgia. I want to get your thoughts on the entire world and all things happening, including numbers. Um, I brought a festive glass. I'm sorry that we can't do this in person. I'm going to pick. I got you perfect. You jammed up on me. So I'm just going to pick. All right. There you go. You got, I have a festive glass. You have what looks like a heavy duty astronaut glass. I got the three, the three cup coffee cup. That's what it takes to get me through these days. Wow. Yeah. yeah, my my mother-in-law has been with us and she says the coffee I drink is strong. And I'm like, I, I need this to survive, right? Yeah. So it's, blood. Oh, it's, Jason, a, it's equivalent of blood now. So, <laughs> Jason, where are you in the world and and how are you? Uh, I'm very well, thank you. I, I, I have been hunkered down in Los Angeles, my home in L.A., uh, with my wife. We're very fortunate that both my grown sons live about 12 blocks in either direction. So uh, just about every weekend, we have the kids over in the backyard with our masks and our social distance, and we uh, were able to check in with each other. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's, I have been, there's a new phrase my friends use called COVID blessed, which mm. is the state of being, being able to weather uh, the, the conditions of COVID in, in relative security and calm. And the people that have that are truly 
blessed and I, I, I am one of them. You know, my, my wife, Dana, and I check in with, with each other every day and go, how is it that at this exact moment we have this while people we know are facing eviction, facing bankruptcy, or trying to figure out how they're going to get food on the table the next week? Um, my industry has been devastated. All my, you know, my colleagues are, for the most part, have been unemployed for a year. And while it's beginning to open up a little bit, uh, and, and, and will probably accelerate with the vaccine, it, it's not back. And so, and when I say my colleagues, I don't just mean the actors and the directors and the writers. I mean, the crew guys and the the transpo drivers and the little restaurants and dry cleaners that support you know every film and television shoot it's it's been really really hard and yet you know uh, we've been able to sit here with with our health um, our family safe and secure and uh, you know we're, we're we're just we're very we're very aware of how grateful we need to be especially at this time of the year so. Mm. That, this is why I wanted to talk to you now because, you know, the COVID blessed um, message and just your overall uh, vibe is like exactly what I think we all need right now. I mean, you, we had such a cool conversation. It was last year. It was in New York. It was pre-COVID. You know, we were sitting in this cool room, you know, rapping about the world. At that time, you had followed the previous guest was Pete Buttigieg when he right. was at the top of the world. Um, yeah. you know, the COVID hadn't hit, but you really, you, I think you opened people's eyes to a bigger picture about what was happening in the world. And I know you're going to do that again with us now, but, um, let, let me ask you, you know, wh where are you, what, what is physically behind you? Normally I get to see inside someone's house. This it kind of looks like I'm hitting the wall right here. This is the green screen right here. None of this is real. My house has never looked this good in, in the 28 years <laughs> that I've lived here. This has never been. I, I would be fortunate. I don't know whose little alcove this is. It's a little balcony alcove uh, that somebody put up on on the internet, and I'm stealing it. <laughs> is, that a, is that a Monet behind you? It looks what like hell cares, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. It's a Monet. It's worth it looks millions. like <laughs> it, it looks like a cross between like Michael Beschloss's house and uh, something from uh, from Harry Potter. I don't know. Yes. I don't know what it is. It's. Oh, I could. I have. Uh, I have a uh, hundred of these backgrounds. They're they're so much fun. I teach a class three days a week online, and and so I just give the kids a different background every day. They're like, "Where are we now?" So, <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, let's uh, holiday time. I normally ask the car question, favorite drink question. Yeah. Jason Alexander, favorite holiday uh, beverage or food? Uh, you know, holidays in Judaism are only about food. We're not big drinkers. I don't know if you know this about my people. We're not, uh, you know, there's the occasional uh, uh, healthy alcoholic that drops in there. But for the most part, we're food people. And ja Jackie Mason, the comic, used to do a, a bit about when he was doing a show on Broadway. He said, I, I will be able to tell you at intermission, everybody in the audience is Jewish. Everybody in the audience is not Jewish because the, the Jews will all be at intermission. Going, so after the show, you want to where we go, we get a bite. We'll pick up, we get a bite, something to eat. Blah, blah, blah. And all the non-Jews will go, we get a drink. Where we go out, we get a drink. <laughs> so, um, favorite holidays. Well, right now is Hanukkah. And the right. big treat at Hanukkah in my house, we have a Hanukkah party every year. Now it was much truncated this year because of COVID. But we do uh, potato latkes, which is basically a potato pancake. Uh, we usually do taste tests. We got Jones on third makes a, a fine one. Cantor's Deli makes a fine one. We usually bring them out. We do the taste test. 
And being absolutely not kosher, we follow that up and accompany it with a healthy portion of fried chicken and waffles from Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles, which is where I went on 9-11 because I said, if the world is going to end, I'm dying at Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles. That is it, man. Yeah, so that's been kind of great. Uh, those are favorite ones. We also managed, I have to say, we were scofflaws at my house this year because we managed to pull off a 13-person Thanksgiving in the backyard, uh, socially distanced, masked. We, everybody brought their own plates, their own silverware, their own cups. We laid all the food out on a, on a big buffet area in the back. And <clears throat> we called people up to serve themselves by pods. You know, we were very good about it. Nobody got sick, but it, but it was a real Thanksgiving. So that was, that was very special. I was That's impressive. That. That's it. So I don't, I don't know how many other um, non-Jews <clears throat> can say this, but I feel like I got drunk for the first time at, uh, at, at a friend's house drinking Manischewitz. I don't know yeah. how many other uh, non-Jews can say that. But, but, very few, but, because very few non-Jews uh, can tolerate the sugar <laughs> level the, in, the, in, the, in, a, in a simple sip of Manischewitz. You oh, probably, yeah. That's 300 grams of sugar. Right I there, was lucky so. enough that we did Christmas <laughs> every year, and then we did Hanukkah at my mom's best friend, Shelly Hauser's house. And uh, we'd get latkes and we'd, we'd, we'd have Hanukkah and then we'd get Christmas and she didn't have kids of her own. So we thought it was just the greatest situation on the Best planet. Thing in the world. So, That's right. Yeah. But latkes are still, I, I mean, one of my, my favorite foods in the world. Fantastic food. There's it's, nothing better. You, if you were on a desert island and you only had latkes, you, you're done. You're, you're there. What's the verdict on ever, applesauce, sour cream, so many other things? This what's your, what's your you thoughts know, on that? This is what divides Jews around the world. Yeah. It's not orthodox and reformed. It's sour cream or applesauce. Uh, I'm a big sour cream fan because, you know, I like to have as much fat content in my bloodstream as possible. Uh, my family is generally in applesauce, and I don't know what happened to my children. They were just raised wrong. It's not my fault. So it's it's the ultimate comfort food. We need a lot of comfort right now going yeah. into the holidays, coming out of COVID, after the election. Uh, you know, when we talked last year, we talked a lot about the moderates, and I, and I think you made a really – um, compelling uh, case for uh, you know the importance and maybe the uh, uh, the possibility of the moderates right in this time yeah. we talked about uh, Amy Klobuchar we talked about Michael Bennett uh, you know you talked about Biden you talked about Buttigieg and yeah. here we are now so what what are your thoughts on the election Jason the election is over at least for most of the country yeah. uh, what what are your thoughts now as we sit here in December 2020. Uh, that we got a lot of work left to do. Uh, the biggest surprise for me, Paul, and, and, I'm, and I'm still trying to take it in and understand where I, need to, where I personally need to go from here. I was under the false assumption that a lot of what was coming from the right was a very loud but very small minority. Um, that these extreme, that, that, that the Trumpers, for the most part, that the Trumplicans were a very small group. And, uh, and that when we had this election, we would, we would see that proved to us in some way. And what we've learned, in fact, is that almost one half of this country was not only more than willing to continue to support Trump and his policies, um, they are in large numbers adamantly refusing to acknowledge that Trump has been dismissed from the game. Now, I cannot believe, maybe it's 
Maybe it's my own naivete. I cannot believe that the 74 million people that voted for Trump did so because their lives are based in some sort of racism or some sort of hateism or some sort of anarchistic fervor. Um, I, I cannot believe that 74 million people are people that I couldn't have a meal with and find common ground and enjoy each other's company. I can't believe that. So now I have to deal with, there's a whole bunch of really good people in that 74 million who just do not see the world the way I see the world. And I interested in understanding where our roads so divided, because I think we spoke last time. In my interactions in the political world with, with conservatives and Republicans, I generally find we want the same end results where we disagree is on, on the pathways that will get us to those results. In the last four years, I've, I've been led to believe there are a whole bunch of people who don't want the results that I want. And I, I don't believe that's true. I just mm. don't believe that 74 million people want an, an end result that is the polar opposite of what I, I see for the world. So my personal mission is to try and understand, to try and have as many engagements as respectfully and, and lovingly as I can over the next few years to, to get some insight, to get some understanding, and, and to really explore with the people that are willing to do it why we feel so differently and see things so differently. I know that we're watching different media and that media is corruptive. All kinds of media is corruptive. I say anybody that is vying for our ears and our eyeballs and is doing so with something to sell, they're corrupting us. It's not pure. Uh, and I, and I give everybody that, but can we have been so completely corrupted into our different corners, into these divisive sides of the line that are, that our take on reality has, is just different. I, th these are all questions that uh, have my head spinning and I don't exactly know what or how to do this exploration, but uh, I think a lot of it is just going to start with the circle of people I know and, and start asking questions um, about what are we doing and, and is America done? Because if we can't, if we can't bridge this divide, then we're a tragically divided country. And I think both of us, both sides are diminished and imperiled if that is going to be the permanent truth. Last time, Jason, you, you were on the show, we talked about your work in the Middle East to try to, you know, bring peace, right. And bring people yeah. together. Who and how been. well I've done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but now, you know, that, that those divisions seem uh, almost simple compared to what we're dealing with in this country right now. Right. In um, some ways they are, yeah. because at least in the Middle East, what you have is the expectation is Israelis and Palestinians are going to see things differently. You know right. that going in. And so it's not about convincing the other side that you're right. It's just about saying, okay, we disagree. Now we're sitting next to each other. Can we get along? Is there some scenario in which we can get along? That was not the mandate here in the United States. The mandate was we're not supposed to see things all that differently. We may have some different ideas about what we see but we should be seeing the same things. That is where this schism is just mind boggling. To me. You, you know, you, 
I, I think you are the kind of person that has the ability to bring people together, you know, because especially because of your kind of hallowed iconic status in our entertainment world, right? And, and I hope that Biden has a number of initiatives that find ways to bring people together. I've talked about, you know, it, it's almost like the debathification uh, after Iraq and Saddam was out. Like you have to provide alternatives for people who are angry and, and who are disenfranchised and have weapons, right? Like you have to find avenues for them. And I, and I hope that maybe entertainment, music, other ways can be a vessel for bringing people together. I don't know if if, if, if Biden is going to latch onto that or not. But what do you see in Biden? You, you know, you, you've won a Tony, you've traveled the world, you've, you've been an activist for a lot of good causes. But right now, you know, when you see Biden, um, what do you see? And, and what do you hope to see from him in these couple of weeks that are so critical coming up? Well, you know, I don't deify Joe Biden. Um, uh, I think he is at heart and the reason I was excited about him is I think he is at root a very decent man. And I think he is a very openly human man. Um, I think he has tragic flaws. I think he's aware of them uh, and acknowledges them and, and wants to grow beyond them. And because of that, I think his heart is open to people who are hurting. And right now we have a world where most people, to some degree or another, are hurting. I think the sheer empathy that he offers to people who are in pain uh, is cathartic and healing. I, I know he is a moderate. I know he's a centrist. I know he believes that there is unity to be found across that aisle and that he's going to, as best he can, uh, offer, you know, extend his arm across that aisle. Whether he'll be met on the other side is yet to be seen. Um, I, I think he is serious about the big problems, and we have major, major problems. We, have, we, are, we still have a pandemic to get under control. We have a shattered economy. We have um, a, a healthcare system and an education system that needs major overhaul. We have the, the you know, so almost Armageddon-like uh, reality of climate change hard at our heels. Um, he takes all of these things very seriously. He takes our commitment to the, to the world at large very seriously. He's not an America alone kind of guy. So for all of these reasons, uh, I am hopeful about him. And as I see him putting his cabinet together, what I see, whether I whether you agree with the choices or not, these are serious and experienced people. They are they're the A students, you know. And I think we need a couple of A students right now in order to sort of you know. There, there's a whole new approach. There's a whole new uh, thinking that has to emerge in order to get us out of this stuff. Mm. We, we, we have yet to really come into the 21st century. We're greeting this century with 20th century models and 20th century ideas. And unfortunately, a lot of 20th century people. Um, mm. the, 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 younger, the younger the administrations get, better off I think we're going to be. Mm. But really what I applaud in, in Joe Biden is, is the decency and the humanity and the willingness to to do the hard work and to form teams and to build bridges. It's all 
positive. There's no, every time he says, I am the president for all Americans, whether you voted for me or not. When was the last time we heard that out of an American president in the last four years? Mm -hmm. uh, So that's what I'm hopeful about and optimistic about. And we will see, it it is why, and I know we're going to talk about Georgia, it is why I am so actively trying to advocate for the Democratic ticket in Georgia. It's not necessarily because I always think we should have a Democratic Senate and a Democratic House and a Democratic White House. But over, over the last couple of years, what we've seen is in McConnell particularly, this unwillingness to legislate, this unwillingness to bring things to the floor, to let them get a vote, to discuss. That is what the Senate was called the, the greatest deliberative organization in the world. There's been no deliberation. He doesn't allow it to get there. Both sides have good and bad ideas, but we can't do a damn thing unless we have a functioning government. And I fear with Mitch McConnell still holding the Senate floor hostage, um, there will be no movement. We will be stasis, and stasis is going to kill us. You talked about um, the A students and, um, you know, Biden's bringing in a group of A students. One of your old classmates, uh, Chris Christie, you guys went to high school together, is maybe not one of those A students. He's one of many people who've gotten hit by COVID, who've been around the president, Giuliani, so many others. And yet there still seems to be this this disconnect in the Republican Party leadership in particular and in, in some states. So, Let's get into Georgia. Georgia's kind of like the overtime session, right? The game's not over. You got at least one overtime. It's going to be Georgia. You know, it's it's Warnock and, and Ossoff against Loeffler and Purdue. Um, I've been pretty critical of the Democrats, and I don't think these two are strong candidates. I think it's it's hard to run um, these these candidates. I don't think are strong, quite frankly, especially strong statewide in a southern state, but. Um, Loeffler and Purdue are pretty bad, <laughs> maybe yeah. epically bad, and yeah. all guns are, are focused on, on Georgia. Um, you've been involved, you know, social media and behind the scenes, I know, in trying to, to tip this um, to Ossoff and, and Warnock. Um, what do you think the chances are? And, and what do you see here happening in Georgia as someone who's studying it, who's involved in it, who's focused on it, especially an outsider, right? Yeah. I think you have a different perspective because you're not in Georgia. Um, what, what are you seeing happening there and what do you think is going to happen? Well, you know, I, 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 I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a psychic. I, I can tell you in the polls, both Warnock and Ossoff seem to have pulled slightly ahead. And I believe it's because of, of organizations like the Lincoln Project and the Midas Touch, um, who have done a slam dunk job of, uh, of showing the underbelly of both Purdue and Leffler. I, as, as much as we can debate the quality of Warnock, Warnock and Ossoff, Leffler and Purdue are just criminal. Uh, it, 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 that is, there's no denying. If I were a Georgian and I was a Republican, I'd go, are you kidding me? This is, this is what I have to choose from. Um, they are criminally irresponsible uh, representatives of Georgia. So I think um, regardless of what your feeling are about Warnock and Ossoff, they are at least, for me, they are at least truthful representatives of what they believe. 
you may not agree with what they believe. There's a lot of people who feel that John is 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 so conservative that he barely qualifies as a Democrat. And, you, you know, Warnock is a, a very left leaning Democrat. And I I I it's not that I uh don't agree with a lot of the a lot of the philosophies and positions of the far left part of our party. But somebody once said to me, it might have been Barack Obama who I heard say at one point, when you try and turn a ship as big as the United States in the water, you're not going to complete. It's not a speedboat. It's not a. It's not a little tugboat. It doesn't turn fast. You've got to do things incrementally, or you just capsize the boat. Yeah. yeah. And to me, any um, sort of robust um, the, the, you know AOC, who I am, I'm a fan. I really think she's she's a bright light, and I think she's got such a bright future for our country. But she's young, and she she. I remember when I was young, and I would go like, "Why do I have to wait for tomorrow? Let's do it today!" Right? You know, she's got that kind of energy, and and her wing of the party has that kind of energy. And you go, you you can't do that to people as in the same way that all the moves from the far right to pull us in a direction would leave half the country behind. I don't think we have the right to do it either. You can't pull that far to the left and leave half the country behind and expect a different outcome from what we have right now. Even if you say, but what we're doing is going to help more people, you got to bring the people with you. So um, I, I think we have two decent candidates in Georgia. I certainly think we have two candidates that are far superior to, uh, to what the Republicans have put up. But that's not even the issue for me. And I can say that because I'm not a Georgian. So I'm not talking about my representation. I'm looking at Georgia as being responsible for the United States Senate for the next four years. And if McConnell holds that Senate, I just fear our country gets stasis. Anything that we accomplish will be by executive order. It won't go through the Senate. Nothing will go through the Senate. McConnell is, and proudly, the Grim Reaper. He kills everything that comes to the floor or keeps it from coming through the door. So I would prefer to have, I'd rather roll the dice, and I wish the country would roll the dice and let two years go by with a White House, a Senate, and a House that is controlled by one party. Let Let them make their moves. Let's see what the outcomes are. And you know what? If we hate it in two years, we change it. We just mm. change the house. Mm. So I vote for for action over stasis. And that's what I think a vote for Warnock and Ossoff really is. It's a vote for for doing stuff rather than staying where we are. Where we are. Yeah. Sucks. Yeah, no, I'm so glad you, you you frame it up like that because McConnell you know, on some, I'm an independent, you know, a lot of folks listen to the show are independents. I, I look at McConnell and I say, tactically, he's effective, right? Mm-hmm. Like if, if he's on your side, you're happy with his performance generally, right? Yeah. He doesn't move. He's consistent. He blocks the things you want to be blocked. In some ways, you know, Democrats, I would argue, should be more like him, right? And, and, and if they really want to be practical about getting stuff done, I think too often Democrats uh, are right and lose. Right. And and end up talking theoretically about what they do while the Republicans continue to jam things down their throats. So when I look at Georgia, 
I am hoping for and rooting for Warnock and Ossoff, but I'm also a New Yorker who's lived in Georgia. You know, I, I lived at Fort Bragg. I lived at Fort Stewart. I spent a lot of time down there. And I think it's another example where, where the Democrats have looked at the candidate field and, and failed to recognize a reality that there is, you know, deep-seated racism in Georgia. There is deep-seated anti-Semitism in Georgia. And they're running a black liberal and a young Jewish guy, right? Like Bernie Sanders never won in the South. And that wasn't just because he was, you know, too progressive, right? right. I mean, there's this underside of this country that we kind of want to talk about, but don't really want to pull out. And I think the Democrats are hoping for the better angels of Georgia. And I just don't see it. And there's plenty of great folks in Georgia, and I think it is changing. But I really worry when it comes down to it, that anti-Semitism and that racism is still deep in the South, and especially in places like Georgia. And Democrats forget that the last time they had a Democrat down there was Max Cleland who was, you know, a triple amputee, Vietnam hero, white guy, right? It was not a radical AOC type candidate or a newcomer. It was someone who felt, you know, like this thing that they could relate to. So I, I, I'm always hoping for the best, but I worry that the Democrats are going to lose this one too. And it's going to feel like MJ Hagar and, uh, and Jamie Harrison and so many others where they didn't really have a deep bench. They didn't really have a comprehensive strategy and they kind of go headhunting thinking yeah. that they're going to take off Lindsey Graham or they're going to take off Mitch McConnell, but they haven't really put the work in, I think, to, to, to put up a, a number of viable statewide candidates. So that's, that's my view on that, but I'm still hoping that we can get some things done. Looks like COVID relief may come. Um, looks like now we got, you know, our friend Pete Buttigieg is going to be focused on transportation, not anything any of us saw coming, but maybe there are some things that can get done. But I want to bring it back to something that I still don't think is getting enough attention and that you are in a unique position to talk about. Can you talk about the devastation in the art community and mm -hmm. in the entertainment industry? and in places like New York and, and LA, I mean, you, you know, were part of maybe the most iconic New York show of all time, right? That New York is gone now. It's going to be something different. But can you talk about um, not just, you know, the, the personal and individual pain of what we're losing here, but maybe the, the, the core American values of the arts that we're losing here, like the, the, yeah. you know, the exceptional necessity of, of the American art community that is being hit so hard right now? Absolutely. And you can come at it from a number of ways, Paul. If you really talk about, for no other reason, um, how, do we get at, how do we get back on our economic feet? Well, Broadway alone puts somewhere between 8 and $11 billion a year into the New York economy that's now been ripped out. 8 to $11 billion from, from you know, 12, 12 blocks yeah. of real estate. Yeah. Um, but add to that the economy that is supported by museums, by art galleries, by, um, because this is even a form of entertainment, by Madison Square Garden, by Rockefeller Center, by Radio City Music Hall, by the 92nd Street Y. And, th and this is just New York. This is, you know, I'm using New York as a microcosm for what's happening across the country. Our economy in in cities and states have have been ravaged by the fact that the arts community is lost and as i as we talked about when when we first started today for every one of those places the support industries that are held up by them dry cleaners caterers transportation 
security, uh, you know, box off people that work box offices. Uh, all of all of those jobs are devastated by the loss of the arts. But let's let's extrapolate out from that. So artists are not quiet right now. Art artists haven't stopped. It is it is merely the profitability of art. So when people talk about you know um, essential workers, artists never come into the conversation. And I understand. I always make the joke about you know in every theater at some point you'll hear somebody say, "Is there a doctor in the house?" In, in no hospital do you ever hear, "Is there an actor in the house?" You know, <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. But the arts are essential because you, we just have to look at where every where everybody has gone to endure this pandemic. Television, radio, podcasts, artists have come together on live streams to create events. Because had we not done that, can you imagine being trapped in our homes, not knowing how we're going to make ends meet, worried about our literally taking the next breath, and being pushed away from each other as human beings, separate, distance, stay apart, don't congregate. Where does humanity go? Where does it go? The, the connective tissue, the thing that keeps us in the game are the arts, music, storytelling, dance, um, podcasts, information, the work that you're doing. This, this is showbiz. I mean, it's informational. It's, it's, it's news and culture based. But this is, you're, you, this is an art form, podcasting, effective podcasting, the transfer the transmission of information and ideas and conversation. It's an art form. So I believe it is the arts that are going to bring us back to our humanity. As we, as, as we start being able to reach out to each other again, as we begin to be able to reconnect again, what are we going to go out for? Well, we'll go out to get dinner. It'd be nice to get out of the house and have somebody else cook for a change. But we're going to go out to go to the movies. We're going to go out to go to a concert. We're going to go out to go to a theater show. We're going to go out for a speaker event or to go to the circus. Or to, you know, to, that, that's what we crave. We, from the time we were living in caves, we would gather around the bright light of the fire and somebody would tell a story. And that's the that's the glue that's the connective tissue and without it i think we get a humanity that looks like the one we have now mm-hmm. where hate crime is up where division is up where we, this the worst thing that has happened to us as a species is that we've had to pull apart from each other mm-hmm. don't you now when someone comes within six feet of you don't your, your hackles kind of go up a little bit and go hey 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 that, that ain't right, man. That's yeah. not what it's supposed to be. We need to start attaching to each other again. And the arts provide the venues and the reasons for us to make those attachments. When we go in a room and experience something together, we laugh together, we cry together, we learn together, we come together. And it is desperately needed. So, yes, for all the selfish reasons, as I you know, my life was being on a film set and my life was going to the theater and being in the theater. And yeah, sure, selfishly, I crave all that, but I crave it for humanity. 
Mm. Uh, we must get back to it as soon as possible. And we need to support artists and keep them alive so that there's somebody there to do it when we come back. I love it. That's, that's why I wanted to talk to you now. I mean, and, and there's this moment where, um, you know, like people are talking about is when is New York going to come back? You know, it's not just New York. It's, it's New Orleans. It's Chicago. It's Miami. It's oh. L.A. I mean, until tourism comes back, right, like our economy is going to be hurting badly, yeah. right? And in so many places, in Hawaii, right? Everywhere, every, everybody's impacted, but, but the, the arts is, is the connective tissue. And I, I never thought I'd hear, uh, you know, a, a soundbite from Tom Cruise that would be so universally supported as oh my ripping into the crew this week, right? I Absolutely. mean, you know, him ripping into the crew is, is kind of what we wanted to hear from our president a long time ago, right? Like, stop screwing up. We got to stay disciplined. We got to stay focused. It's, it's a bigger, it's bigger than us, right? And Absolutely. I, I loved that that was the focus of Tom's tirade was he felt the responsibility yeah. for all those other people. If we screw it up on this thing, it's going to squirrel it for so many others. We can't do that. Yep. We are responsible. I loved what he said. I'm sorry he was so irate and, and that people got, you know, so called out over the coals, but he was absolutely right. And, and I think that shows, you know, I get asked all the time because I know Tom, like a skosh, a skosh. And people always go, what's he really like? And I go, I got to tell you, I, I don't know what he's really like because I haven't spent that much time with him. I will tell you in the time that I have spent with him, he's one of the most decent human beings I have ever come across. And I, I think he deserves all the success and praise in the world. You know, that's that's my window on the time. Oh. And that was shown today when he when that the, the, the show is called Angry Americans. And if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Tom Cruise is angry and he's paying attention. Yeah. And I welcome Tom Cruise on this show at any point. He can riff and, and, and rail on, on this as much as he wants. But I want to go back and ask you a, a question, Jason, the way, way back machine. Yeah. What was your very first concert? When you were, you know, you talked in the last episode about the, your, your origin story. And I think you're this great. American success story. And, and oh, you've had so many different lives and such an incredible journey. But what was your very first, uh, your first concert that you ever went well, to? Well, it, it depends how you define concert. <laughs> you tell me. I'm going to let you go with that one. I, I, I can tell you that when I was a younger kid growing up in Jersey, you know, you went where your parents went. And the first one that I remember was the Garden State Arts Center, a concert uh, with Anthony Newley. <laughs> Wow. You know, in, in full cockney, what kind of, you know, that kind of thing. The first one that I remember me buying a ticket and going to, I was in college up in Boston, Boston University, and uh, Chicago came to town. Ooh. And I was, I, I, I had a bunch of their albums, but I had never bought a ticket to go see, you know, a rock act live. And we went and saw Chicago and it was fantastic fantastic night but they were the first one i've seen billy joel 12 times i don't know why i think i'm sewn to the hip with billy um i've seen springsteen three or four times uh you know I, i'm not a big concert goer um the ones that i have seen have been pretty spectacular i saw beyonce in concert i saw Katy perry in concert uh taylor swift uh my my friend brad paisley i've seen in concert many times excellent you know I love Chicago. Peter Cetera, right? I mean, Chicago yeah. is so, so good. You bet. And, and uh, that, that's a good one to, to, to land on, right? Like that. And here's what I kept thinking. See, think, think like a Jewish boy that you were raised to be. I'm looking at Chicago going, oh, there's so many of them. How much money did, did they get individually? If the, <laughs> fans, get, 
if the band gets a hundred thousand, what do they take home? Ten? <laughs> you know, that's how I would It's like, you know, P Funk, the Doobie, like how many Doobie brothers are there really, right? right What's the exactly. split look like? How many members <laughs> of the Wu Tang clan are there? I don't know, right? It ebbs and flows. Uh, but um, but there I think there is still some really great art coming, right? And and that's and maybe there is a you know a, a silver lining here where the artists can take back their ability to distribute directly to their audience with fewer filters than ever before. We've had a lot of different artists on the show. We had uh, Mike Shinoda on who was talking about how he was doing, you know, uh, cartoons and music and everything on Twitch in this new format. And yeah. There's so many boundaries being pushed, but let, let me ask you um, a final question here, Jason, you've been so generous and, and you always bring wisdom. You're like our holiday present of wisdom, but if you, like little, you know, baby, little baby Yoda, <laughs> <laughs> That's a good reference right now, right? So if you're going to be the little baby Yoda of Angry Americans in our second annual, uh, you know, Festivus conversation with Jason Alexander, you know, if, if someone, uh, let's say a great grandchild or extended relative, someone hears this, you know, five or 10 years from now, um, what do you want your message to be at the end of 2020? Looking, looking back, looking forward, if you had to kind of wrap it all up this holiday season, what's, what's, your, what's your message? For the future? Boy, it's such a good question. Here's what I'm feeling, so I'll just go with what I'm feeling. My wife um, raised our boys with this thing. I, I think they get it. They don't always live it. None of us do, but it's a great idea. When the boys would get into arguments with us or with each other, <clears throat> and they would start to take that turn into... Um, character assassination, you know, or, or whatever they needed to do to win. My wife would say, you know, guys, it's, it's often better to be nice than right. We all see the world differently. I have really come to understand that. We all see it differently. What I do for a living when I, when I get the chance is I step into someone else's eyes and ears. And I try to portray their choices based on what they see the world to be. And so I guess in doing that, I've developed a kind of empathy. And empathy is in very short supply right now. We have prioritized ourselves and only those closest to us. And we have deprioritized our neighbor, uh, both next door, down the block, across the other side of the country, and around the world. I do not see a world in which only some of us make it. Mm. I, in some ways, I wish that were true. I, you know, I, I, I wish that it really was survival of the fittest in, in some ways. But I don't believe it is because I believe that we are elevated by how we care for the weakest among us, the smallest among us, the newest among us. And if we could just find our way back to some kind of empathy for the person that doesn't get us, for the person um, that, that we just can't seem to embrace. And I'll tell you, Paul, where it comes from. We may have talked, talked about it before. Through a guy named T.J. Lydon, who was a uh, reformed neo-Nazi skinhead who became a friend of mine and who... I tried to do a project with about his life, and I learned a lot about people in the skinhead movement, the neo-Nazi movement, the white supremacy movement. 
I met, I met TJ when he had only been out of the movement for less than a year. And in my first conversation with him, which was supposed to be 30 minutes, we went for three, four hours because we were enjoying each other. We were fascinated by each other. And I said to him, TJ, if I met you a year ago, would we have been having this rapport? And he went, yeah, if we didn't talk about politics, we would have been fine. Mm. And that's always stayed with me that this guy who stood up and said, I hate Jewish people, you know, me, he and I could have had a very decent conversation even when he was in that movement. He said, as long as we didn't talk about politics, because that's where the divide would happen. I know there's so many people out there that are filled with hate right now, just filled with hate. I felt it over the last four years. I felt it. Um, and I go back to where we started. I don't believe that 74 million people are hateful to me. I just can't believe it. Oh, and that I'm hateful to them. I think if, if we could just sit down and hear each other and talk to each other without yelling, even though they may believe some conspiracy theory, I think it's total bunk. We can find the common ground. We can find the places where we care about the same things. We care about our kids. We care about the world surviving. We care about waking up every day thinking this could be a better day than yesterday. It's that simple little stuff. We care that we have enough food for each other. We care that there's a place to go to school and just learn simple facts. I know we disagree on facts right now, but you know what? Two and two is still four. Let's at least accomplish that. Right. Uh, for me, it, it's about empathy. It's about just, uh, and I guess that goes hand in hand with some humility. I'm going, I don't know everything. I'm not always right. And no matter how much I think about myself, that person over there has every right to be full of pride and full of hope and full of the wisdom that they've garnered over their lifetime. And if I can't learn something from them, there's something wrong with me. Mm. If we could get to that, then the world is a garden. We, we, we make it. If we don't get to that, if we keep trying to destroy each other, hold each other back, leave each other out, with everything that we're faced with existentially, I, I, I don't think we make it. Mm. Your message is a hopeful one. And it was, yeah. uh, it, was, it was also very insightful last year. Like, you know, you, you saw this need for a moderate. You saw where the country was. And I think now you have, again, have a good pulse on where the country is and where we can go. But you're bringing, you know, the wisdom that you brought last time and you're bringing again generously, which for me is like the perfect holiday spirit. Um, I can't give you gifts in real life. So uh, uh, virtually, I got uh, some Uncle Nearest whiskey. Oh, coming yes. Yes, yes. It's, I'll put it right in the coffee. From our friend Jeffrey Wright. <laughs> and then um, we have an, a new gift, which are the men's lounge joggers from Tommy John. Yes. Which are like the most comfortable things in the world. I'm so wearing a pair of Tommy John's right now. Swear are, to God. Are yep. you really? Swear to God. Love so them. you know. You know. I do. You know, I mean, that would be the question the is... The only guy who figured out the flap comes down from the top, not from the side. He's the only guy who figured it out. See, Come you on. know, then you, then you appreciate that gift. And I have, since we started with food, I, we have to end with food. And it's a question I've been asking our repeat champions, folks who come back for a second visit. And you, you're the guy, I think I got to ask this. If you could only choose one, 
Jason Alexander, pancakes or waffles? Oh, it's waffles. It's got to be waffles. Why waffles? Why? How, how do you even ask? All right, wait. I have to be empathetic to your foolish question. Uh, <laughs> first of all, you, I know it seems like waffles have more negative space, but in fact, if you weigh the same amount of batter as a waffle as you do as a pancake, there's more volume in the waffle. So for a fat ass like me, volume is everything. The texture is fantastic. I can put things in each little hole. So I actually do waffles where I put a little dollop of peanut butter there, a little dollop of jelly there, a little dollop of something else there. Ooh. You know, do the, do the maple syrup blend. Come on. It holds. You don't put ice cream on a pancake. You put ice cream <laughs> on a waffle. There's no question. Uh, you know, it's like saying what's better, oxygen or breathing water? Oxygen. My God. This is by far the most controversial thing you've said on this entire podcast. <laughs> I am firmly in team pancakes, but I respect your wisdom and insight. Wow. Oh my God. I know. Uh, I know. I know. I love you this, anyway, Paul. I love I know, you. Anyway. But this is when, when we get back together, we can have waffles and pancakes and latkes <laughs> and whiskey and all of it. But I am so grateful for your wisdom, for your friendship, for your insight, for your example. I said this before, but especially as a father of, of two young boys, I think your life is an example on a life well lived and the work you're doing continues to give back and inspire others, whether you're teaching or you're out there working uh, on the political space. So I'm grateful for all that you're doing uh, and all that you've done. And I'm excited for the future for you and for us. And I hope you'll join us again next year. Maybe we can I do this every year. I will join you anytime. You, you know you're one of my heroes and I love the work you're doing. And you know, you're very complimentary about me, but if we want to look at lives well lived, you, my friend, <laughs> are a shining example. So happy okay. holidays to you and your family. Thank you. And uh, let's 2020, 2021. Let's, let's, we'll, we'll make it happen. There we go. We'll make it happen. Ladies and gentlemen, the great and powerful Jason Alexander. <laughs> stay frosty. Stay vigilant, my friend. And uh, we'll talk about waffles next time. Serenity now. holidays are all about giving and there are lots of folks to thank for all they've given to make this show possible and the entire year of this show and all we do at righteous media possible first of all i gotta thank jason alexander an exceptional human being i'm honored to have him as a friend i'm so grateful he joined us here for year two follow him on twitter look for him on tv and stay tuned for more inspiring things to come from a man that is truly an incredible American, and an inspiring human being. Thank you again, Jason, for joining us again. Thanks to the incredible Righteous Media team all year long. They've been bringing gifts, Mighty Mercy Rich, creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, Uncle Nearest, which should be on everyone's holiday list, Uncle Nearest Premium Whiskey, inspired by the best whiskey maker the world never knew, the first known African-American master distiller, Nathan Nearest Green, Uncle Nearest has also now been selected as one of Oprah's favorite things, a 2020 selection on Oprah's favorite things list. You can get yours if you go to UncleNearest.com. It's the most awarded American whiskey or bourbon of 2019 and 2020. Thanks also to our friends at Tommy John. They continue to support this show with their amazing men's lounge jogger pants that I am in love with. And apparently so is Jason Alexander. 
They're amazing, perfect for the holidays. If you go to TommyJohn.com, you can get 15% off your first order right now. Whether you're naughty or nice, they've got something for you. Go to TommyJohn.com. And so many friends around this show to thank, and one that I forgot to thank last episode, Nathan Holdstein. Nathan Holdstein was the guy who helped us connect with Admiral James Stravides. He helped set the whole thing up. He knows Admiral Stravides from the Fletcher School at Tufts, the preeminent institution on foreign affairs. He's also a member of our very vigilant Patreon community. My thanks to our friend Nathan Holdstein. And thanks to Nathan and everyone else who tuned into Vice TV again this week for episode five of While the Rest of Us Die. This episode was titled Collapse, and it was about how when the shit hits the fan, as it has for real in the last year, many of the richest among us will leave the rest of us to die. And if you missed it, here's a taste from episode five. On the next While the Rest of Us Die... The illusion of national security is that we are strong and that we can take a blow. But the truth is that we are very brittle right now. Our new normal could become permanent as a doomsday industry caters to the 1%. And they really think that they can play gilded survivalists when the society that they're ripping off collapses. America spent decades and trillions of dollars worrying about nuclear annihilation. But what if the apocalypse is already here and we just don't realize it? If you missed it, you can watch it and all five episodes online anytime if you go to vicetv.com. It's narrated by the great Jeffrey Wright. It's directed by my friend Anthony LePay for Ephraim Films. I am the creative consultant and a contributor. Go check it out and share. Go to vicetv.com and look for a new episode coming up Monday, December 21st at 10 p.m. It is the final episode, episode number six. Righteous Media and I are very proud to be a part of this series that's got people talking nationwide. Lots of social media buzz. Lots of folks are checking it out. Lots of folks are binging it over the holidays. So the final episode, Monday, December 21st at 10 p.m. And right before that, we will have our third holiday special, Angry Americans Monday Night Cocktails with me. So you can join us. It's for Angry Americans Patreon members only. And it's going to be Monday at 8.45 p.m. Eastern, right before the final episode of While the Rest of Us Die. Dr. Paul Hazer joined us last time. We did a fun contest, and we're going to do it one more time in 2020. So you can have a Zoom Christmas cocktail with me and a very special guest and get a preview of Episode 6 before it airs on Vice TV. I'll have some inside scoops and cool Christmas prizes for all the good little boys and girls, and you can ask me anything. It's inspiring and fun. It's Monday, December 21st for our vigilant Patreon members only. It only costs five bucks to join. You can go to patreon.com backslash angry Americans or wherever you got this pod. There should be a link. It'll be fun and uplifting to get you in the holiday spirit. I hope to see you there. And thanks to all our Vigilant Patreon members who have joined us in the past and who are going to join us again, and especially to Mike Feggins. Mike Feggins joined us in the last cocktail hour, and he's serving right now in the Air Force. And he joined us for the last cocktail hour from where he's stationed in Oklahoma. He was the 2016 Air Combat Command Health Services Management NCO of the Year. And in 2015, he was the ACC Command Surgeon Office Non-Commissioned Officer of the Quarter for the third quarter. And he's serving in the 76 Medical Group Advanced Air Force Base Clinic out in Oklahoma. He's fighting COVID. He's serving our country. And he's a true hero. So thank you, Mike. Appreciate your support and all that you do. 
Thanks also to everyone who continues to play Guest the Guest on social media. You can guess the guest every Wednesday on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Nobody correctly guessed Jason Alexander. Nobody. Lots of you guessed Norman Lear, but nobody got it. Even Delfino down in Texas didn't get it, and he gets them all. So since it's the holidays, and since none of you won, the first three listeners who send a tweet and tag Angry Americans and post an image of you listening to the show somewhere festive will get a prize. We're going to keep it interesting this holiday. So post a picture of you on social media. Use the hashtag Angry Americans of you listening to this show somewhere festive. If you sound off and share, if you're among the first three listeners to do that, you will win a Christmas holiday Kwanzaa Festivus prize. You can also use that same social media hashtag, Angry Americans, to keep the feedback coming. Let us know what you think. Let us know who you want to see as a future guest. And let us just know what you're up to. But we want to hear from you. We always want to hear from you, so tweet, post on our social, or you can call 833-33-ANGRY, 833-33-ANGRY. And just like Mike and Nathan, you know what'll happen. I'll make you famous. As always, thanks also to my wife and my amazing two boys. We have a massive amount of snow right now, and we made a snowman earlier in the week, and now that snowman has endured We are making cookies. We are watching out for elves. We're watching Trash Truck. If you haven't seen Trash Truck on Netflix and you got little ones, highly recommended. The Trash Truck Christmas special is now my new favorite. But my boys and my wife continue to make the holidays extremely special for everyone. We've lost some folks close to us. We've had a lot of folks having a hard time, but my wife and my boys keep bringing the positivity to me and to many of you that are listening. But my deepest thanks to them. And they show me, just like this show does, that there's plenty of reason to be angry, but there's also a way to turn it. There's a way to channel it, to harness it, a way to make an impact. And now more than ever, we need you to turn that anger, frustration, agony into positive impact. Now more than ever, we need everyone to be a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Every show, I offer a way to convert your righteous, understandable anger into positive action. Positive action that shows that angry Americans can also be impactful Americans. An action that channels your energy, makes you feel good, and makes a difference. And like this show, our actions are always packed with the four eyes: integrity, information, impact, and inspiration. We're closer now than ever how much alike we are perhaps we're long lost brothers there's love in our world and we're showing it more we even think the same you know there may be others Emma Otter's Jug Band Christmas is about community it's about love and it's about a very very special holiday and a very special holiday gift and we've gotten that gift the vaccine. The vaccine is here. Our ultimate Hanukkah, Christmas, Festivus gift is here just when we needed it most to end our 2020. Frontline workers, all my colleagues who've been 
doing a yeoman's job to fight this pandemic all over the world. I am hopeful, I feel hopeful today, I'm relieved. I feel like healing is coming. I hope this marks the beginning to the end of a very painful time in our history. I want to instill public confidence that the vaccine is safe. We're in a pandemic, and so we all need to do our parts um, to put an end to the pandemic. That's Sandra Lindsay, a courageous critical care nurse in New York City. She was the first person in New York to get a COVID-19 vaccine. And she said, I feel like healing is coming. And at the end, she said, we all need to do our part. That's the message of the holidays. That's the message of Emma Otter's Jug Band Christmas. That's the message of the vaccine. We all need to do our part. Shots are painful. And unfortunately, right now, necessary. But sometimes you got to be like Emmett Otter and Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Sometimes you got to take a risk. Sometimes you got to put a hole in the wash tub so you can achieve a greater goal. Sometimes you got to make a tough call. Sometimes you got to be Alice Otter and hock Emmett's tools for some dress fabric. But you do it because in the end, it's worth it. And because we're all in it together. And because we're all in it together, please make plans to get the vaccine. It might be months from now. It might be soon. But make plans to get the vaccine. Educate yourself and educate others. But it's the patriotic thing to do. It's the generous thing to do. It's the smart thing to do. And it's a holiday gift for you, but especially for others, especially for the most vulnerable among us, and especially this holiday season. Our world says welcome, stranger. Everybody's a friend. We can always use a friend. Favorite stories don't end. Welcome, brother, in our this holiday time, I'm especially thankful to you, my dear listener, for tuning in. And to those of you that have tuned in all year and from the beginning of this show, please give me a present this Festivus and continue to tell your friends to check this podcast out. If you're on an Apple device, take a minute and leave the show a quick review. Subscribe now and we will have it hot and fresh waiting for you every Thursday night, just in time for your Friday commute to work or your not commute to work. And all our archives are here. So this holiday season, go back and binge them if you have some time off. But know that I appreciate you. 
I appreciate you sharing your time and your focus and your energy. And if you're one of the folks out there on the front lines, know that we appreciate you, especially this holiday season. In the hospitals, in the military, riding in ambulances, holding the line, doing surgery, helping others, working in nursing homes. You're all braving that. You're all out in the cold. You're all helping make the holidays better for others. And we appreciate you. I appreciate you. And we do not forget you. So thank you. We're grateful for you this holiday season and for all you will do in the new year. And just like you, we'll continue to adapt, improvise, and overcome. So stay tuned, subscribe for free, and share. And we will keep this movement growing week by week by week and year by year by year. It's okay to be angry, especially now and even in the holidays. But know that you're not alone. We're all a little angry. And that's because we're paying attention. And we're all in this together. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, and Happy Festivus. Stay frosty and stay vigilant, America. Ho, ho, ho. Love can open your eyes. Welcome, brother, to our world.